Well, good afternoon once again. It's a privilege to be able to uh, lead you through this part of the service where I open God's Word and proclaim God's Word to you. My name is Ian Wildeboer, for those who are new, and my wife and I are here from uh, the great city of Hamilton, Hammer City. Um, So we are going to open the Bible shortly, but before I, I do that, I wonder, as we enter our passage this afternoon, whether... You ever come across a passage in the Bible and you're like, wow, I am so thankful this was recorded for us. I'm so thankful that the Lord, by his spirit, led someone to write this story down. I mean, as a Christian, there should be many parts of the Bible that you should be thankful for. But in particular, this one this afternoon that we're going to look at and consider... And not because the question that we're going to ask is extremely important. Jesus, are you the one to come, or should we expect another? Jesus, are you the one, or is the Messiah yet to come? That's a really, really important question that you want to answer. Not only is that question really, really important, and I'm so thankful that the answer is written down for us in Scripture, the one who is asking the question, it's also important that he's recorded for us. Because we don't expect him to ask this question. His name is John the Baptist. If you know something of the storyline of Scripture, John the Baptist came just before Jesus prophesied from the Old Testament to proclaim the coming of our Savior. This is what was said about him to his mother Elizabeth and his father Zechariah when he was announced, and it was announced by an angel, which was pretty amazing. It says, For he will be great before the Lord, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. That was his calling. And even about 400 years before Christ, we have these beautiful words from the book of Malachi, which says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And that messenger is John. So John comes on the scene of history, and he is a preacher. And he's quite a fiery preacher for Jesus. And so we're going to read one of those uh, text that kind of explains his ministry to us. It's taken from Matthew chapter 3. So if we can put Matthew chapter 3 on the screen, or you can have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 3, and we're just going to get a bit of a context to who this man John is, because he's the one who's asking the question. He's the one that's doubting. Who is, who are you, Jesus? Are you the one to come, or should we expect another? So let's read John, sorry, Matthew chapter 3. And we'll read the first 12 verses. There we read. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid bare to the root of the trees. 
Every tree that therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That's John's ministry right there, summarized for us in just a few verses. Well, the day continues, and the Lord Jesus Christ enters the scene of history, and he visits John at the Jordan. And as Jesus is coming down, John has these beautiful words in John 1, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then we read in verse 20, 20, 32, He bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And as we learned this morning, the Father spoke, This is my beloved Son in whom I was well pleased. So he witnessed to the coming of Christ, he saw Christ coming, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes the, sin, the sins of the world. That was then. And this is a new day. And today John is in prison in our story, as we will learn. More like a hot dungeon. And he was struggling to make sense of his conditions, his condition, his future in Christ's ministry. Something wasn't aligned. And his faith began to slip. Doubts began to take over like waves on a rough ocean. And maybe you're here this afternoon and, and you can sympathize with John. That maybe you are right now being hit by some waves of doubt in this great sea of the unknown. Maybe because you have been faced with some troubling news around cancer or a loss of job, or a loss of a loved one, or maybe a lack of justice, or maybe simply a lack of love in your life. And you're beginning to doubt Jesus. Are, are you the one? Maybe you have been praying, uh, praying about something for, for, for months and, or even years, and, and, and the, the answer is not forthcoming. And you have this question, Jesus, really? Are, are you the one? Maybe the pressure to join the culture in its view on human sexuality and gender identity is growing in your life and, and doubts are forming around Jesus and the truth claims of Scripture. And you're like, really? Do I, do I really need to hold on to you and your word, Jesus, in this cultural moment? It's getting harder. I want just to remind you this afternoon, loved ones, nothing has changed in the course of history. These, these waves are real. The experiences can be very, very raw. The potential to slip into the sea of a Christless life is great. And you have one question that you need answered then. Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one who says this about himself? Is that really you? Can I trust you, Jesus? Because right now, I feel like I'm slipping. And, and, and I want to answer that question in the affirmative. Affirmative. I want Jesus to answer that question for you this afternoon. And by God's abundant grace, uh, Jesus has answered that question for us. So let's open our Bibles then this afternoon to the book of Luke, where we find Jesus' answer to this very, very important question asked by John the Baptist. 
So this is coming to us from Luke 7, uh, verses 18. And we'll read all the way to, uh, I think I said 28. So here we go. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, this is Jesus, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John. What you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowd concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing, live in luxury, are, are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And may the Lord add his blessing to his word this afternoon. So our theme very simply is this, Jesus, are you the one? Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one when waves of doubts and questions assail us? Are you the one when we are faced with a wall of truth? And grace, and are you the one when we can ride on the wings of praise and commendation, even from your mouth? So we're going to look at the waves, the wall, and the wings. Different metaphors, I get it, but they all begin with the letter W, so I thought that would work. Waves of doubt. When we deal with waves of doubt, you need to plumb the depths of those waves. What, what's causing them? What's starting that, that, those waves to form in your heart? Well, what's starting those waves in the life of John? We need to enter their text, and we need to realize that John, of course, is in prison. John the Baptist, he's in prison. And the reason for his imprisonment is simply this, that he was speaking the truth in love. And that drove him into prison. John was saying something about the gospel. He was not ashamed of the gospel. He was speaking gospel truth into someone else's life. You see, when idolatry or sexual deviant affairs filled the pages of the Jerusalem Post, he did not turn the page and say, oh well, love is love. Live and let live. What the king and queen do in their bedroom is none of my business. The preacher has no business in the bedroom of the bureaucrats, to paraphrase the late Pierre, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. He didn't say any of that. That's not John the Baptist. The Lord sent John the Baptist who called for repentance and he didn't discriminate. You could be a king, you could be a queen, you could be a bureaucrat, or you could be a pauper. It didn't matter. If you're not living for Jesus, 
you need to repent. Full stop. So he calls out the king and the queen because of their sin of adultery. The king is King Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, the guy who tried to kill all the baby boys in Jerusalem and, and, uh, and missed Jesus. This king, the son, Antipas, went to Rome literally to steal his brother's wife. What a good brother that is. And he did. He literally stole his brother's wife, and they had an affair. And this was his half-brother, Philip. And her name was Herodias, and they came back to Judea. Well, I think King Herod would have known the Bible. He was Jewish, and this was adultery. Leviticus 20, verse 1 also says, If a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. And if you look in the history of the world, I guess you could say uh, they were childless, this couple. You see, God cares about purity. God cares about holiness. God cares about the marriage bed which is to remain holy. And God cares that his message goes out concerning the unholiness in society. Hebrews 13, verse 4, Let the marriage bed be held in honor by all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So in love, he approaches Herod, Antipas. In love, he's calling forth repentance. And had he repented, there would have been grace for King Herod. In love, he was asking Herod to send back Herodias to Rome. But you understand in our age and that age as well that carnal men and carnal women do not want to hear about their sins. Nothing has changed in the history of the world. They want to appease their conscience, so instead of being told their sin is wrong, they celebrate their sin. And that's what Herod did with his wife. They had a celebration, basically to celebrate their marriage and to celebrate their sin. Today we carry flags and dress immodestly and walk down streets and call it a parade. Herod, because he's carnal and didn't want to hear about his sin, threw John in prison. And if the historian Josephus is correct, Herod imprisoned Joseph, or sorry, John, at Machaerus, a restored fortress east of the Dead Sea. And this is kind of the, the, the mountaintop, um, if we can get a picture of the wilderness, not the wilderness, the fortress. Uh, up on the screen is where John the Baptist was probably held. That's by the Dead Sea. We can't really see the fort anymore. It was hot, it was dry, and he was languishing there. And death was probably imminent. And then his disciples come to John. The disciples of John came to John. And they report on what Jesus is doing and about Jesus' ministry. And so that's what we receive in our text. But after he reported what Jesus was doing and as he was languishing in prison, he had a dark night of the soul. And the devil began to feed him lies. And he began to think maybe Jesus isn't the one. Maybe there's someone else who should be on the scene of history right now. His foot began to slip. Psalm 73 begins with these words, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, he says, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. That's John. But why? 
Why were these waves of doubt beginning to roll over him? Why was he struggling so much with his Messiah? With the one he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Why now is he struggling with Jesus? You could say, well, it's because of his circumstances. True. Our circumstances can often make us question God. Are you there, God? I have cancer. Are you there, God? I ha- I'm in terrible pain, and the pain is chronic. Are you there, God? I lost my job. Are you there? I'm losing the person I love. Are you there? Our circumstances can dictate that kind of questioning. But behind the circumstances of John, and I think typically behind our circumstances and our questions resulting from our circumstances is this. It's, there's this unmet expectations. The reason why we're questioning Jesus is because we expected him to do something in the face of our pain, in the face of our cancer, in the face of a loss, or in the face of unanswered prayer. So we ask, are you there? We doubt Jesus because we expect something from him, something that we think he should have done for us. And and, and we doubt Jesus because we, we feel that he has failed us. John has felt now that Jesus has failed him. You see, Jesus, sorry, John knew the scriptures. He knew why Jesus came. He knew the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. He would have heard, whether in person or from one of his disciples, the first sermon from Jesus. This is in chapter 4 of Luke. In this first sermon, Jesus is quoting Isaiah 61, and we read these words, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, this is Jesus speaking, because he has appointed anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Jesus puts down the scroll in the synagogue, and he says, I've come to fulfill those words. And you're like, wait a second. He's come to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and John is in prison. You see a disconnect there? Why has Jesus not set me free? That's the underlining question about Jesus' ministry. Why has Jesus not set me free? Why is he healing people, letting the blind see, the leper cleanse, the dead rise, and not helping me? And his expectations turned in on him, and he began to slip. Jesus, are you the one? I'm beginning to think you're not the one. But what's very interesting, loved ones, and this is very, very, very important. If you forget everything else I say today, don't forget this. That in the middle of those questions, in the middle of the doubt, as his foot began to slip and he began to sink in those deep waves of doubt, he didn't turn inward, ultimately. He turned outward. He turned back to Jesus. And he sends his disciples to Jesus with the question. That's so important. 
that he didn't give up on Jesus. He says, well, I don't understand this. I'm not making sense of my doubts. I am struggling here, but I'm going to go back to the source. I'm going to go back to the one I think has an answer to my questions. So in the midst of your doubts, in the midst of your depression, in the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of the unknown, you still need to be anchored. You still need to go back to the one who can ultimately answer your question. And his name is, help me out, Jesus. His name is Jesus. Those waves crash up against a very strong wall, a fortress. We have this picture of a, of a, of a lighthouse on, on an ocean, and those waves of doubt can be pretty wild. But they crash against this wall, and that wall is unmovable. I want to remind you this afternoon, loved ones, that that wall is Jesus. He's the wall of truth, and he's the wall of grace. So he sends his disciples to him. More likely, he sends two disciples, possibly because in Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, it says a a fact is established by two witnesses. So he's going to get the facts now about Jesus by these two witnesses that are sent to Jesus. And and, and they report to Jesus uh, verbatim what John had said. We're messengers for John. They could say, well, we actually believe in you, but my, our, 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 our master, our, 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 our leader, uh, he's struggling. Um, so this is what John asks. Are you the one to come, or should we think of another? And, and Jesus hears the question, and then guess, guess, what, guess what happens? Verse 21, it says, in that hour, so the question is laid on Jesus' heart. He hears the question. The disciples are like watching Jesus, waiting for an answer. And he says this, in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. That was a whole answer, a whole hour before he answered the question. He's like, watch this. And keep watching. They're like, well, we, we came here for the question. You got an answer to the question? Keep watching. Keep watching. Keep watching. Watch as I heal people. Watch as I drive out evil spirits. Watch as blind people come to me and I show them, give them sight. Part of regrounding that faith for John, part of building our faith in this unspeakable foundation, this wall of truth, is to watch and learn. Who is this man that can speak to blind people and heal them, diseased people and cure them, people with evil spirits and drive them out? Who is that man who has power over creation, over the fall, over the curse? Watch and see. Because Jesus was doing what the Messiah was meant to do. Jesus was doing what the Messiah was prophesied to do. Watch. The long-expected Messiah who would come with healing in his wings, we read about in Malachi 4, verse 2. He was a long-expected Messiah who would advance the kingdom of God. How? Through his power over illness, over death, over blindness, over being lame, over deafness. All of this was an object lesson for the disciples. All of it. They were going to become the eyes for John. Then we read in verse 22 these words. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. 
The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news. Preach to them. I'm doing exactly what is prophesied of me. You go back and you tell John that even the gospel is preached to the poor. The gospel is not only lived out in, in, in physical realities, healing people. The gospel is also going out to the marginalized, to the aged, to the disabled, to the foreigner, to the orphan, to the leper, to those who are on disability insurance, to the urban poor, to the trafficked, to those who are lived in subsidized housing. The priority for our Savior and indeed the priority for the church of Jesus Christ is to reach out to the poor. John was poor and the gospel is going to be preached to John as it's going to be preached across this world to the poor and rich alike, but not forgetting the poor. But you're sitting here still, and you're saying, well, all of this is true, Pastor Ian, but John could still have a question. What about the prophecy in Isaiah 61 that Jesus fulfills in Luke chapter 4 about setting the prisoner free? When he tells his disciples to go back to John, they mention nothing about oppression. He mentions nothing about the prison. He doesn't talk about setting people free. So what's happening here? I think there's two reasons why Jesus doesn't reference the prison in this Go Tell John story. But it's conjecture, so you're going to have to work with me on this. I think the one reason why he didn't say, I set the prisoners free in this context to the disciples of John, because John wouldn't be set free. It will be to his Father's glory that John gives his life for the sake of the gospel, in prison. It will be to his father's glory. He would not leave the prison. His head would come off in prison. He would die holding true the gospel of Jesus Christ and not denouncing his faith, even at the point of death. This is going to be John's legacy to the world. I think that's one reason why he doesn't mention the prisons. I think the other reason is more spiritual than that. That the setting captives free and freedom for the prisoners is a work of Christ ultimately accomplished on the cross. The greater freedom, the greater breaking the chains of oppression, the greater bondage is, is, is broken and released, you could say, through the power of the cross. That's our greatest prison. It's the prison of sin. It's the prison of decay. It's the prison of death because of our sin that Jesus breaks free through the cross and the resurrection. So he is coming and he will set the prisoner free and he will set the oppressed free. He will redeem a broken world through the cross. You need to tell John that this is an ultimate reality. John would have to learn that as you have to learn that. That you can be in prison and be free, and more free if you're out of prison without Jesus than if you're in prison with Jesus. You are free. That freedom comes from the freedom from sin. So John's freedom is our freedom, loved ones, freedom from the judgment owing him and from the judgment owing us. And he was going to learn a lesson that you and I can't forget. It's this, that the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus Christ offers us is not often what we naturally want. 
I'll say this again. The good news of Jesus Christ, what he offers you in the gospel, the good news that you receive in the gospel is not naturally what you want. But it's exactly what you need. He wanted to be set free from the prison. He wanted to run again in the wilderness or wherever he was running around. He wanted to wear his camel hair and stuff. He wanted to live life. He wanted to be rewarded for his ministry. I'm sure he did. He wanted to be happy outside of prison. It's a dungeon he was in. But the gospel promises us what we may not want, but what we have to have. He had to have his faith tested. And maybe you right now are in an hour. Your faith has to be tested. I don't know why. The Lord knows. Maybe for you to grow in maturity and the strengthening of your faith. Maybe you just need to realize that you're forgiven and that's the most beautiful gift that you could ever receive even though you have cancer, even though you've lost a loved one, even though life is really hard. Maybe God is preparing you just to stand firm in the face of trials and stand unwaveringly in the power of the gospel just because of who Jesus is and what he's done for you and it's not gonna be pleasant. John had to realize this and what's interesting about the story of John is simply this, that when they come to John, we have no more comment from him. He receives that news as good news from his disciples. But as it seems the disciples are leaving to go back to John, he says these words, and they're, and they're, and they're a little bit pointed. He says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This is the word for the church today. Blessed is anyone, brother, sister, child, adult, everyone, who does not stumble on account of me. And the word in Greek is from the word scandalize. It is where we get the word scandalized. And literally in Hebrew, the word scandalized is to trip over something. That's kind of weird. To be scandalized is to be caught in a trap. What's the trap that... Jesus doesn't want John to be caught in. What's the trap that he doesn't want you to be caught in? And here's the trap. He doesn't want you to be caught in the trap of false expectations. That's a deadly trap. Where you make Jesus into the person that you want him to be, but he's not the person of Scripture. He's not the person of the Bible. He's a person of your own imagination. My Jesus is like this. Is it the biblical Jesus or is it your Jesus? Don't don't get tripped over this. Don't be scandalized by Jesus. Don't be offended by the person of Jesus Christ that you find on the pages of Scripture, loved ones. Go tell John not to be offended by me. Your expectations, loved ones, of Jesus Christ has to be fully and carefully aligned with the person you find in his word, and there is no other. He is the only one. Let those waves of doubt, loved one, bring you nigh unto the shore, the rock of Christ. Go tell John, and they do. Let me just close with this, the wings of praise. You have to love Jesus' heart. And the more you grow in Christ, the more you'll love his heart. I know that. But what's very interesting as these disciples leave and John is still languishing in prison, 
Jesus uh, speaks of John so highly. Do you notice that? He doesn't berate John for his doubts. He doesn't belittle him for his lack of faith. He didn't say to those around him, around, around him like his disciples, you know, brothers, I, I, I didn't expect that from John. <laughs> of all the people, wow, he, he should know better than to doubt me. He is the great prophet who baptized me and he literally saw heaven open. He saw the dove come down and he heard my father, my father say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. John, 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 John. I can't believe that you have doubts about me. We might do that. Jesus doesn't do that and he will never do that with you. Jesus will never talk behind your back. Oh, I didn't expect that from that sister. Whew. I didn't expect that from that brother. That's not our Savior. His love is so great. His love is so strong. He literally honors John. He honors him for his service. He commends him for what he's done. He was a man on a mission for Jesus. His sole purpose was to advance his kingdom. He was not living the high life. He was not eating fine cuisine. He ate locusts and wild honey, and he dressed in camel's hair. He was consumed by the message about Jesus. His whole life was defined by Jesus. That was John. And here's a word for God's people. As Spurgeon says, that those who are in Christ have their life defined by Jesus, and if you take Jesus out, their life is a miserable mess. You can't explain their life apart from Jesus. You can't explain John's life apart from Jesus. And I hope that's the same for each one of you, that you can't explain your life apart from Jesus. He says to his disciples, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. And that's true. He was the greatest of all prophets. He was the one who saw Jesus face to face. And then, he, and then he writes, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And we have a minute to explain that. Well, John was a great Old Testament prophet, but he was still only preaching, listen, the baptism of repentance. And that's why Jesus has to say, there's still someone, you are greater than he, because not only are you witnessing the baptism of repentance, you're going to witness the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to witness the kingdom of God coming in a full fulfillment, you could say, through the cross and the resurrection of me. And that reality is way more than John could ever have experienced. So even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he because of what we've been able to experience in Christ, we are in a better position than John could ever have been. And so he commends us as well. But what does this all mean for you right now, right here today? Well, maybe this, that you need to check your expectations. Do you love Jesus for who he is in the face of your questions? Is he your number one? You know, if you love Jesus, it doesn't mean you're not going to face hardships, sickness, or death. And if you love Jesus for the, the escape from all the hardships of this life, waves of doubt will consume you, and you may slip one day into a sea of disillusionment and despair. You know, you have to understand that the promises of Christ are true. He loves you, and he's caring for you but he has a purpose for you. And you may not be able to explain everything at, at the moment, but trust him. He's not done with you yet. He's there. 
So when, love, when, when doubts arise in your heart, loved ones, as they will, preach to yourself the good news of who Jesus is. Remind yourself that he loves you. Remind yourself that he came to bring healing, more than the healing of the physical life. He has come to bring you spiritual healing so that he can restore you into an eternity with him. Remind yourself that he died in your place so that you can live with him for all eternity. Remind yourself that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Remind yourself that nothing in all creation can ever separate you from his love. Remind yourself that daily. Paul understood that. Paul was converted. Paul has an awesome story. And he says it and summarizes this beautiful truth of this whole message that I shared this afternoon with these words. Now, in all things we are more, no, it says no, sorry. In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And all God's people say, amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for who Jesus is. He's exactly the man we need. He's exactly the Savior we need. He's the God we need. And we thank you that he came. And we expect no one else. He is our rock. He is our aid. He is our comforter. He is our Lord. He is our king. And Lord, if there's anyone here this afternoon doubting you, Jesus, that you'll remind them of who you are and how much you love them. That their circumstances can't dictate their identity. But you dictate our identity. We are your creation, found in you, and sealed for all eternity to be with you. If there are those amongst us this afternoon that don't know you, that have not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, we pray that your Holy Spirit will do an awesome work in their heart and draw them to you because you're the only one. There's no other way to the Father except through you. So bless each one of us this afternoon. Encourage us in our spirits. Allow us to know the gospel, to preach the gospel to us, to grow in the gospel, and to be fed it throughout this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.